You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. How do you like your art? Do you like your art on the wall or sculpture in a garden? Or perhaps you'd like to be challenged by what the artist does. Marina Abramovich is a performance artist. Now, I first saw her work at MoMA in Hobart, and that is also where Heather Rose was the inaugural writer-in-residence. Welcome, Heather. Hello, Jan. Now, uh, a writer-in-residence. Yes, it was such a privilege. The um, I had been actually working at the Mona Library, which was in those days in a warehouse in Moona in um, the outskirts of Hobart. And then the gallery was built and the magnificent library was built as part of the gallery and there was a spare room and they offered it to me. I think they felt very sorry for me because (laughs) I had been working in the cupboard before that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, your book's title is The Museum of Modern Love with the subtitle, a novel inspired by performance artist Marina Abramovich. She won the Gold Lion in Mm, Venice. mm. Now, can you explain what that is and what she did to win it? Yes. uh, The Golden Lion is, I think it's, it's to acknowledge the most extraordinary piece of art at the Biennale. And Marina, it was a funny situation because she applied to the Yugoslavian government to do this piece. In fact, to um, the Montenegrin government, which, uh, you know, were going to fund her. And then when they realised what she was going to do, they withdrew the funding. But she was able to still put on a piece in a basement in Venice, which apparently is incredibly hot at that time of the year and very, very stuffy. And she made a piece that was a, a huge pile of freshly butchered cow bones and she scrubbed these bones for days and days and days in the heat and the stench Ah. of this basement and she scrubbed and she sang Serbian songs and there was a large photographs of her mother and her father on the wall and underneath them there were these beautiful copper basins of water and it was a the piece was about um, the war in in mm. Serbia and Bosnia and Croatia, and it was also about her parents, her lineage, because both her parents were war heroes in the Second World War, and the purification of the bowls and the water for the for her parents, but also her own um, excoriating grief at what had happened in the for- former yeah. Yugoslavia. It was an incredible way to portray it. Mm. And I, I, I did read in your book that she ended up being a vegetarian after that. Mm. Which yes. yes, indeed. <laughs> I think the smell. <laughs> now, the piece that I remember was the video of her head so still but with snakes curling mm. around it. And they're sort of such so close to her head that you could see see the way one had smudged her lipstick and mm. oh, some incredible videos. That was in England, that, that was oh. performed in England. It is remarkable, isn't it? Yes. But that's not what this book's about. No. It's about a completely different performance. 
And where and what was that performance? It's the, uh, the performance was in 2010. It was in the Museum of Modern Art, hence the title of the book, and in New York, and it was called The Artist is Present. And listeners might well remember it because it's when she sat opposite whoever came to sit in the empty chair and had eye contact, and we call it the gaze. Uh, the, the gaze went on for 75 days and more than 1,500 people sat and more than 850,000 people came to watch this extraordinary performance. How many times did you sit, Heather Rose? I sat four times over. I was there for about three, three and a half weeks. So I sat four times during that and then I sat on the sidelines every other day and it was extraordinary. So many other people, as you said, over 300,000 people came to look mm. at two people looking at each mm. other. Mm. So you, you wonder about, you know, sort of the artwork in that, that, that whole participation or whatever. And this is really what your book's about, isn't it? Yes. So spectators. It's about the engagement that it created within, uh, from people in New York, from people who came from all over the world. And because I sat, uh, you know, on the sidelines every day or I sat in the queue waiting and some days I wasn't successful in being able to sit because the queue was very long mm. um, and you could sit for as long as you liked. So you never knew if someone was going to sit for the rest of the day, of course. So I met uh, and so many people and the stories of what drew them was extraordinary to me and I loved it and I thought wow I didn't realize I didn't realize how myriad were the reasons that people are drawn to art and to this art and to Marina of all people mm. well you have a New Yorker uh, Arky Levin mm. tell us a bit about him yes Arky is the sort of central character of the book. Marina's the heart, but Aki is the sort of, you know, the pulse in a way of the book, along with the other characters who are connected to him in some way. And Aki's a film composer. Uh, He hasn't been as successful as he wanted to be. He's seen a lot of uh, his colleagues become hugely successful in film. And he is working on a new film, an animation with a Japanese director, but in the background is his wife who has become terminally ill and is no longer living with him in the apartment and she's asked him to have no further contact with mm. her so that she can die gracefully and that he can get on with his life. And he finds it very hard to honour that, but at the same time he knows it's her wishes and so he's caught for the first time with no sense of his own identity or his own rhythm in life and he uses the, the artist is present as a way of having a rhythm in his day. So he keeps going back and back and back and it helps his very narcissistic self mm. start to understand that there are other ways to look at the world. I thought it was very sad with his connection with his daughter too. Well, Alice, yes. Alice, you know, mm. She uh, had, well, you know, he, where, where he's sort of watching something alive but very still, she's cutting up bodies. <laughs> as yes, a, as a medical student. As a medical mm. student and, and, and how, um, yeah, well, yeah. Then, in contrast... There's Jane Miller. Mm. Now she's, <laughs> dear she's, Jane. <laughs> dear Jane. I think everybody would like Jane. Yes. <laughs> um, she. I thought that was clever because she's. she was an art teacher and you could tell that she was a particularly good art teacher. So she. you were able through her character to explain a little bit more about mm. the whole process. Yes, and I loved that thing where the, the man comes and stands behind her. There's a sort of vacuous man who comes and stands behind her. He and his wife have matching trench coats and the wife is at least. <laughs> 30 years younger than the husband and and he says you know art never saves saved anyone and 
and Jane wants to run after him. So, yes, it did. It saved people all the time. Absolutely. Mm, I really love her. I think he was missing something. Yes, I don't think he was getting quite the discourse that he should have had with his much younger friend. So um, Jane also is sort of grieving. She's Mm. lost her husband. Mm. and Mm. um, Carl, yes. So that's – but then, you know, we get her ideas and then we have – Hilaeus? Hilaeus mm. Breen. Now, mm. Hilaeus Breen and her co-presenter on television, mm. they are true you know, art critics mm. paid to explain what they're seeing. But I thought that was very clever. What they're not talking about is the things that aren't seen between them. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. And it was quite funny writing them. I didn't know that was all going to happen. When Hilaeus first came into the book, you know, this incredible six-foot-two black woman, this this slender French black woman, and she was so exotic and so wonderful. And then to find that she has that dynamic going on in her work life where she's having an affair with her co-presenter. And it was it was a lot of fun writing Hilaeus. But she also had grief in her past. Mm. Her her, uh, partner Tom had died. That's right. Tom is the connection back to Arky. That's right. Yes, Hilaeus and Arky play in a band over summer together, but Tom Washington had been the director and Arky had done the music for many, many films since they were at college together. So, And Tom had died quite suddenly in a skiing accident. And, yes, it's... um, it was really interesting, all of that coming together. It, it, in fact, Tom came to me very early. He oh. and Hilaeus were having dinner. Uh, she was having dinner and, and she was seeing him across the table and that was one of the early realisations that this whole thing needed to be set at a table. But I didn't know it should be set at a table until I, I... I didn't understand what that meant until I went to the artist is present and sat at the table and I thought, oh, my goodness, I've written this whole novel across a table. And, and here she is doing it. <laughs> oh, wow. Mm. Then you throw us a curveball of Pratika van der Sar. Mm, so Pritika, different yes. in age, background. Mm, mm. Yes, with her pink hair. And she's um, she, she is Chinese and she was adopted into a, a family in, in Holland. Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. So. so she's grown up in a rough area of of Amsterdam, or it certainly became a very rough area, and, and she has this bright pink hair, and she's always, she always lives in a world where she is, she decorates herself rather like a Disney character, mm. um, and then of course by the end we get to see who she really is. We do. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly do. Um, now she, she's doing a PhD on uh, mm. Marina Abram- Abram- Abramovich. Yes. And you have her say she has the unconquerable gift of endurance. Mm. Now, the art of endurance, and Marina has a photographer, Marco Anali. Yeah. He, it's his job to take a photograph of everybody that sits with mm. Marina. And this is New York, so I'm going to get you to read a little bit about or what you've written. Yes, and Marco gave me permission, as did Marina Abramovich, to include him as himself in the book. So he's he read this and he really liked it and he you know, it was a reflection also, of course, of an interview I did with him. So this is in reference to Marco and his, uh, his capturing of everyone. He captured this ephemeral thing, a communion between an artist and her audience. The chair opposite her was an invitation. Come sit if you wish. 
Here in New York, where time was everyone's currency and to gaze deeply into the face of another was possibly a sign of madness, people were flocking to sit with Marina Abramovich. She wasn't so much stealing hearts, he thought, as awakening them. The light that came into their eyes, their intelligence, their sadness, all of it tumbled out as people sat. Marco, with his long lens and archivist's eye, captured them all. Yeah, and we hear about people crying in mm. the presence or mm. people being in, maybe in, not even in, intimidated or mm. just... Um, shocked. shocked. Some of them look just startled to the point of shock. Yes. So we have the story about all the participants who came mm. to observe this, but then we have a completely different narrator. <laughs> yes. And, and that, that, and a ghost. <laughs> well, yes. So um, you mentioned um, Marina's mother before, Danica, and, yeah. and how she was um, uh, director of the Museum of the Revolution. Yes, in Belgrade, yes. Which yeah. is true. Mm, it's true. That's exactly right. And she was a war hero. Yeah. Yeah. But Marina didn't realise until after her mother died that her mother had been a war hero. Mm. She'd kept it secret, even though there were many indications that her mother was a very damaged person when Marina was growing up. And here we have her mother, who really didn't give Mar- uh, Marina that amount of uh, acknowledgement or respect mm. when she was alive. Mm, but can't did. stay away from her now no, she's dead. no. no. <laughs> Um, Marina, another uh, performance of all, a project, she broke her project down into seven steps, which you have done in this book, mm. which actually allows our, our characters to use those steps so we learn more about them. So there's awareness, resistance, submission works, reflection, which brings in courage, which actually you turn some of the characters around like um, uh, Aki's wife, Lydia, to make her so strong because we only know her as a dying person. And um, then the last one, the gift. Mm. And you have Jane, our art teacher, sort of saying, great art can be transformative. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, actually. I really liked a lot of what Jane said. So the story um, is about death and grieving, but art is all about connection. So the connection, the art, leads to what matters and what gives life meaning. That's very profound. And and you just sort of did it by bringing some characters Mm, I know, and it's an interesting thing, Jan, because I don't write... Some writers I know um, write because they know the whole story and so then they they simply populate that that narrative. But I never know where I'm going in a book. I get the last scene and the last scene I had from very, very early on was Aki going to... doing Mm. what he does at the end and I won't say what that is because it would be sad to give it away. But what Aki does at the end, I saw that right at the start, and I got the first scene of, um, in, strangely, the first scene I got was of the artist sitting empty at a table. And uh, and then what happens is that the characters emerge for me. They just arrive. You know, Haleas just walked in. She just walked in and there she was. And, and Jane, Jane came and sat down next to Aki at the gallery. And everybody emerges and then it's my job to travel with them. So I tend to write a great deal of backstory about my characters. So I wrote the whole story, for example, of um, Lydia's career. 
And I wrote the whole story of Jane's marriage to Carl. And sometimes that ends up meaning that the book has one sentence of all that in it. But it's the right sentence because I understand where it came from. So I need to know all the details. But I don't know how the characters are going to pull this story together. I don't I don't try and weave. I, I simply let them do what they do and something happens that's magical and the story weaves itself together. I want to know about that accountant that used to come in every lunchtime. Yeah, with the shabby shoes. <laughs> yes, yes. Wasn't he interesting? I wonder what happened to him. <laughs> I know. I, I actually saw him a few times in ver- various forms at the gallery. These men that would turn up and look like they didn't have the best kind of job in New York, but they were they were obviously doing okay because they were in suits. And I have no idea were they insurance salesmen, were they were they bankers? But they came and they kept coming back, and I'd see their faces, and I'd think. What are you doing here? What is it about this that calls you so much? And they weren't the sort of people I felt like I could approach, so I just had to make it up. <laughs> well, I felt strongly about them, and, I, and I'm really pleased where Jane's walking off to next. I think that's, that's, yes. that's, that's a very good rounding for her. But, of course, we come back to Marina. Mm. You know, the art of endurance. And, you, and there are comments about how does she do it? You know, she doesn't have a toilet break. She, you know, sort of... Hours and hours yeah, and hours, mm. just endurance, which makes me sort of think more back on the some of the performances that I saw done when I first saw her in MoMA. Oh, this is videos of the performances. Yes, in yes, that's right. And uh, I mean, that's what gra- captured me. Um, the it, first of all, I was drawn to a photograph initially of the of the piece Rhythm Zero, which was done in 1974, a piece of endurance over six hours where she stayed entirely passive while people were able to choose 72 items and that could have been a rose or it could have been a glass of wine or it could have been a rope or a chain or a gun or a bullet. And um, I remember thinking, wow, that's a very brave thing to do. And then the fact that she and Ulai, the her performance partner, had walked from either end of the oh, great, great Wall of China yeah. in order to say goodbye to each other. And again, the focus, the endurance. And as you saw at Mona, even in the pieces that were in that show last year down in Hobart, uh, there you know, the counting of the rice right through to some of those longer pieces in the films where there's a lot of physical trauma going on. And yet enormous courage, enormous focus, enormous discipline and an ability to override pain or use pain really Mm. as a portal into another way of experiencing human life. A woman who has given her life and love to art. Mm, Isn't that the truth? And Heather Rose, I'm very pleased that you've given a lot of years because (laughs) you have given a lot of years to... um, this writing of the book, you know, it's, it has it was six years. No, 11, actually, yeah. Jan, I have to say. The Museum of Modern Love took 11 years. I did write four books in the meantime, but uh, I, I, it took every, every moment of 11 years for me to grow up enough to write this book. I, uh, and mm. you can sort of feel the texture in it too. Look, I've enjoyed reading the book. I've enjoyed learning more about Marina Abramovich and of course meeting you, Heather Rose. Well done. The book is called The Museum of Modern Love and it's available through Alan and Unwin. Thank you very much, Heather. Thank you so much, Jan. Well, from speaking to um, Heather Rose, who had to go back to Tasmania, hopefully I'm going to be speaking to Jude Pereira. Jude, are you there? I am indeed. Fantastic. So Jude, where are you ringing in from? 
from Melbourne in Mill Park. Oh, well, that's that's a bit closer than Tasmania. But... <laughs> <laughs> Jude, we often talk about Melbourne having a cultural diversity, but you've got four friends from very diverse backgrounds, and it's not from Mill Park. Where have you set your book? It is actually set in Sri Lanka as a, as a country, although I have not directly made reference to Sri Lanka, just to create the universal appeal uh, of the book. But and uh, more specifically, it's uh, the setting is uh, something that is close, uh, a place which is a uh, which is very close to my heart, called Horton Plains, uh, uh, which was nominated as a World Heritage Site. Uh, a few years ago and uh, in the highlands of Sri Lanka. So that's where the setting is. It's a very mystical place and uh, full of clouds and mystery and and, 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 uh, and uh, an actual uh, absolute beauty. I must say, uh, Jude, that I actually Googled uh, Horton Plains <laughs> and found the world's end. Absolutely. The world's end is one of the peak uh, uh, places which I have uh, one of the uh, natural wonders, which is, which is an absolute precipice. Uh, which is at the, at the end of the world, literally speaking, and uh, that's, uh, I've made reference to that in Chapter 2, where the four friends make a trek uh, towards and um, um, in search of the elusive beast. Oh, uh, now, before we get on to the beast, I want to talk about these four friends. We spoke about diversity, but first of all, the, the parents of these four friends, first of all, there's Ash. Now, Ash is 17 years old. He's very sporty, very smart. Tell us about his parents. His parents are down to earth. Uh, they're very affluent, rich, mm. but not spoiled. Uh, not, uh, because they're, they're still, uh, I'm, I'm glad to say it is a minority, but they're still... Uh, a bit of a social distinction where they have between the haves and the have-nots and the new rich and the and, uh, and they uh, own the, TA the rich stage. by by through through uh, what do you call uh, through family sort of thing and uh, which is which is thankfully dying as a result of uh, more and more people getting educated but uh, Ash's parents are just uh, two people grounded on earth with mm. their Firmly placed on terra firma, they're, they're rich, but they're not uh, contaminated by these class distinctions and and uh, social barriers. They they and love in, life. And they in love, contrast, you know. Ash has got a friend called Rose, and yes. they're very fond of Rose. But Rose's parents are from a very different background. Absolutely. So I just want to bring the socio-economic disparities between the four friends, and uh, and how and she's from a, a very economically challenged, uh, economically deprived. Uh, background, but uh, so-called uh, uh, on, the, on the lower uh, rungs of this, uh, the social uh, hierarchy or structure, um, in, uh, which is common in uh, most of Southeast Asia. But uh, she loves life. She is yes. the happiest out of the lot. That's something I want to say, that she's not hooked onto anything material. Uh, she doesn't have much, but she uh, loves the world and, and she's a bubbly, larger-than-life person. And then we have Monika. Monika, Monika's mum and Monika have got very, very strong Buddhist philosophy. Right. Yes. And whenever Monika leaves home, what does she do? Uh, she's uh, under the watchful eye of her silent admirer, Dylan, and her mother is very uh, watchful, very conservative. And, and, uh, and this blessing that she does, leaning down and touching her mother's feet. Correct. That is a very 
deep uh, Buddhist tradition where you, which is still, I'm, thank, I'm really glad to say it is still very, very vibrant in Sri Lanka where some of these cultural norms among the, specifically among the Buddhist uh, uh, mm-hmm. families are where they worship their parents. And once a year when you have the, uh, the New Year festival in April, it, it is very much part of the rituals that uh, uh, among the celebrations that uh, take place over a week, and I'm saying, uh, I'm happy to say Melbourne has so many of these festivals and uh, being in a cultural diverse. So we are from a Sri Lanka being from a Sri Lanka. And in religious and in religious uh, contrast, you have yes. Dylan, and he's Catholic. He's Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Dylan and Ash are Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. So, and in his parents, they sort of still have that old colonial feel hangover. about them. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> they are from we've the got colonial these... hangover where the where they take their class and the and the the snobbish people, the two snobs, so and got... the hypocrites, and yeah. you know where 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 they they are shown to be passionate, really, you know, Sunday churchgoers and et cetera, et cetera, but they do not practice what they uh, teach or <laughs> no. what they learn, so which, is, which these... is a common problem, I think, across the planet, wherever, mm, <laughs> wherever you yes, go. Yes, where there's parents and um, young adolescents. So yeah. we've got these four friends on their, and, they're on, and they're on an overnight camp looking for a yakush, a yakush. Is that a Sri Lankan mythical beast? No, no, I... I uh, you made that one I, up, did you? <laughs> I, I just fashioned it because yaka or, uh, is, in a, in a, is a single phrase for a devil. Ah. So I just, you know, just uh, then uh, yakuzi is something that came to my mind. Yaka is in a single phrase for a devil. Yakuzi is from, from the Japanese underworld, I guess. So oh. I just combined the two and created yakuzi. It sounded nice that, that was all there was to it. Oh, okay. well, thank you for like that clarification. <laughs> so they are looking for this really, really scary-looking beast yes. with, with an incredible howl and everything. But they come across other things, and uh, it, it becomes quite tumultuous. Just what they what they find when they they find a young girl who's running from a kidnapper. Yes. And so this is where the action really starts. You yes. know, we sort of tend to wonder why is a, a young girl from a poor family being kidnapped? Mm, we won't answer that one, um, Jude, but we, you also bring in some of the geographical forms, not only the mist and the storms, but a tsunami. <laughs> yes, I couldn't resist it, uh, Jan, because I was in, uh, uh, in uh, Sri Lanka when the tsunami struck, so it was one of those tumultuous tragedies. You know, I went on a four-week holiday and and it was, you know, it was destroyed by all the death and the mayhem. So, so I had to bring it at some point. And um, so this was, um, it just cropped up to me. I was thinking and thinking. And then the wave uh, on, in chapter, I think, five or six, the wave came to mind. Right. <laughs> and, of course, there was all of this worry about what's happened to the friends. Where are they? And one of them has gone missing. And, uh, you know, just where is she? She had a romantic interest, we thought with uh, her piano tutor. Yes, yes. <laughs> ah. 
uh, what I want to, you and know, once again, you know, some of these, uh, what, you know, the, the, the puppy, the adolescent love that some people play yeah. at. She was madly in love with Dylan. Dylan was madly in love with her. She was playing hard to get. And she had nothing with the piano teacher, but I just want to build oh, up. Oh, don't that. tell that. We, we <laughs> often wondered about that. Now, so we have a book of action, a story of friendship, yes. deception and survival. Now, Jude Pereira, I've got to also mention the illustrations in this book. They're black and white. They are they. Um, they look like etchings or uh, liner prints. Yes, they. They actually. Uh, my wife was the uh, uh, artist behind it, and uh, Ali did a good job in um, you know getting the cover concepts and all that. So it was. It was more like a woodblock charcoal mm. effect. Yeah, no, or, and which which took my which took our fancy really. Well, um, we, we can't even talk about the uh, Facebook and and the quote, you should not look for romance on Facebook, but it all comes relevant into this book. So where can people get this book from, Jude? Uh, it's currently available from the publisher's website, Alice Books, and all most of the online retailers such as Amazon and, um, and uh, Barnes & Noble, etc., etc., so, so the real challenge is to uh, uh, is to get it actually to, into an actual bookshop uh, as such. But uh, so hopefully I can work with uh, Ali and, and 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 get some ideas on how to do this. So that is a real challenge. But ra- right now it's a, uh, it's available on uh, only on the online stores. Okay. Well, thanks very much. I've been speaking with Jude Pereira. I'll spell his last name P E R E R A. The book is called The Beast. And it does have this oh atmospheric Sri Lankan background to it, and um, it's available through uh, the publisher is Ali's Books, A L Y's Ali's Books. And thank you very much, Jude. Thank you so much for having me on this program. Thank mm. you.